You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I uh, hope you guys had a great holiday weekend. Um, Hope everybody was safe. I've been doing a good job of being isolated, but even I was made aware of the uh, events that took place. So just hoping everybody's doing all right, Um, able to enjoy their their weekend, doing a lot of praying for people. Just, Just a lot lately. You know, we don't need to get into it, but I guess that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's a horrible thing, but um, we should be spending a lot of time praying for people anyways. Sorry about yesterday. Uh, That really wasn't planned. I kind of just, I had the day off, as I do today, which is why it's um, coming out a little bit late, but about 6.30 in the morning, I get a text message from Clayton saying, um, everybody's back to work. There's no podcast. This is unacceptable. (laughs) Those weren't his exact words, but I promise you that was the tone. And he's like, "Um, I don't know if you're recording or what you're doing, but, um, you know, if there's no podcast, let me put mine out. And I'm like, that's a great idea, man. You should do that. I'll take the afternoon slot. Thanks, bud. He is a man of the people. His mind immediately went to, the people are back to work after a holiday weekend. They're dying out there. They need something, and you're giving them nothing. You're letting them down. And uh, so he, he came through. He had one ready to go for the afternoon, and he just bumped it up to the morning. And um, I uh, intended to do the afternoon podcast but what i decided to do anyways or instead is work on the uh substack article which i've been saying i want to do like one a day but the way that i write articles it just takes too long but i just sat down and i said i'm not stopping until i get done on this and so that finally got done it is my all nfc north 53 man roster i thought it was a lot of fun uh but the other really big news with that Sam Holman has decided to start writing, and obviously he is much more adept at understanding scheme and things like that, so they're going to be much more substantive type articles. He wrote an article looking at uh, the potential changes to the Packers' defensive scheme. So I got done reading that um, last night before I went to bed. That was a very, very good article. Um, He has access to my SIS because I just figure Sam Holman with SIS is going to be absolutely lethal. And so, you know, you, you give him his schematic mind and then back it up with um, data. It's a heck of a combination. So that's that's going to be a real asset to be able to have him there. Um, hopefully, potentially going to be adding some more people to, to write for me over there. I have also started uh, another article because, again, I want to keep rolling with this. Kind of in a similar vein, but the question more so is how good can the Packers defense be? And looking at it from a more... Um, statistical standpoint, you know, because the, the, the whole reason I looked at it, and I'm, I'm going to try as hard as I can to talk about it without just saying, you know what, I said so much, I might as well not even write the article, which is going to be a real challenge because when I do this much in-depth study to not talk about it on the podcast is going to be impossible. But I actually thought of it because I was listening to the Wisconsin Sports Heroics podcast from Sunday. I believe it was Sunday. And I think there's one scheduled for today as well, if I'm not mistaken. I, I saw that sitting in the queue. So you got that coming. But a, a question was posed, and I might be butchering this. I, I, I have to go back and listen to it because I'm writing the article and I'm like, I don't remember if this is exactly what was said. But there was a question posed. It was a, a mailbag for them. And it was something to the effect of comparing the 2022 Packers defense to the 2000 Ravens defense, which seems somewhat random. But the, the point is the eventually, um, you know, Sam kind of took it from a schematic standpoint and looked at it and said, well, there are differences based on, you know, they were more run defense focused, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Probably somewhat because of the era and whatever, but then it got to McQuaid and he kind of just brought up the point of let's pump the brakes a little bit because 
the Packers defense, as far as their rank and everything, wasn't necessarily that great anyways. But it kind of just got me thinking, because we look at it from a standpoint of, we sort of deify certain defenses, but then look at us as human. And we, we, we do this with kind of a lot of other stuff too. There are certain players that are that are deified, they're, they're, or teams or coaches or whatever that are that are untouchable. You cannot, you thou shalt not compare any modern Packers anything to the 2000 Ravens defense or the 85 Bears or whatever. You just can't do it. But if we strip away the um, godlike status of some of these things, and and I want to just look at okay, numbers. What did they do? What did they produce? You know, things like DVOA. What? Just give me a number. And what was our number? And what is the difference? How big of a jump is is possible? How big of a jump is realistic? And I went back and looked at 32 teams. I wish there was an easier way to do it, but there wasn't. So I had to go one by one, look at every single team, every single year, and then look at the jump that they made. It took me hours and hours and hours, but I finally finished yesterday. Just to kind of give a picture of how big of a jump is realistic and, and, and to look at the fact, just to kind of, again, first the first step is to break down that wall of you'll never be them. Looking at what they are and then saying, what is what is the most possible, not most possible, most unrealistic but possible jump because it's happened before. Where could the Packers be? And the, the bottom line is if they took the maximal jump, they could be ahead of where the 2000 Ravens were. Which again is, is is kind of stupid, but the 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 point is we got to get past the idea of impossible. They are godlike; we are mere mortals. Now that doesn't mean um, most likely or even realistic, but again, the first step is just tearing down the idea of impossible, and then starting to build up what is realistic, and and you know also looking at some of these teams that took big jumps. What was it? New coach. New players, new this, new that, whatever. And what are some of the parallels? You know, one of the things that we we look at with this team, you know, because again, we're we're talking about. I keep using. I'm trying. I've been trying to think of different words, but I can't really. So we'll just stick with uh, deified, I guess. But one of the things we look at with these teams is, well, the reason why it's impossible is look at the caliber of team. You just don't see that. Where where you just from from A to Z, they've got great players. Well, that's what we've been saying about the Packers roster in terms of. You usually don't see, at least on paper, from A to Z, really good players. Now, we don't know how everybody's going to pan out, but we're looking at three corners that we really like. We're looking at our defensive tackles saying, I don't see a weakness. We're looking at our edge rushers potentially saying, I don't see a weakness. Obviously, there's going to be rotating and potential injuries and all that. But as it stands right now, I'm very comfortable with what we have. Linebackers, safeties, question about Savage possibly, but it's certainly not a guarantee that he's going to be horrible. Um, so anyways, I, I still have to continue on with that, but that's what I'm working on over there. So, um, if you would like to check that out, I would really greatly appreciate that. Trying to put a lot more effort into, um, consistency and, and, and again, there's, there's a lot of free stuff you can see out there. And and obviously my podcast is free. And so you have to go above and beyond. I can't just be cranking out the usual nonsense articles that you can find anywhere and expect you to come over and pay a monthly fee to read stuff that, anybody can read anywhere. It needs to be more substantive, which is what I've tried to do with this podcast. Sometimes it's just reading the news and hoping that you care about my insights more than anybody else's. But I try when I can think of something, which is not always easy to do, to give something that people aren't talking about other places. So that's the goal. Um, obviously, it's difficult in the off season, especially right now. It's the, the depths of the off season, but that is the goal of, of that uh, packernet.substack.com if you would like to check that out. That would be greatly appreciated. So kind of a teaser, but also just something to talk about on the podcast, because it is true. On one hand, they're, 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 and, and it's, it is both. I'm, I'm not trying to make the case that we should have ridiculous expectations. It's both. McQuaid, who made the point, was 100% correct. Let's pump the brakes. The Packers, via like DVOA, I think were ranked like 16th or something. We weren't even a good defense last year based on pretty much any metric. Now, again, there's, there's different ways to, to gauge it, and obviously the the difference between, and I mentioned this, I think, when I talked to Clayton. I've done like a media circuit within my own podcast network. 
I believe it was with Clayton, but it might have been JJ. The the difference between bad Packers in the past and and you know or mediocre Packers in the past and mediocre Packers last year is last year was more a mixture of of super elite and super horrible, but still it averaged out to eh, not super great. So there should be on one hand an element of let's pump the brakes. There's also an element of regression is not impossible. It's really not. It seems impossible because we're going into the second year and we've added talent and all this kind of stuff. We've got Jair back. But just just from a, a, a rational standpoint, anything is possible. So I think the, the, the best thing is to recognize what is and to not get caught up into the what must be. And that, that goes for both sides of the argument. On one hand, it doesn't have to be that the Packers are going to be elite, that their defense is going to be unstoppable, that they're even going to get better. And you can do that on a individual basis. We don't have to we don't know that Rashawn Gary has to get better. We don't know that Jair has to be as good as he was in 2020, uh, I guess. We don't know that Razul is going to be as good. We don't know that Stokes isn't going to regress. We don't know that Savage is going to get better. But we also don't know Savage is going to be bad again. He might be one of the best players on this defense as he takes a, a quote-unquote second-year leap in this scheme. We don't know Rashawn isn't going to take a leap and be the best pass rusher in football. We don't know that Preston is going to regress, although I kind of expect it because it was an outlier year last year. We don't know that. We don't know that Devondre is going to get any worse. We can't assume anything. So we look at what is. We look at what was realistically is a good place to start. The Packers' defense was mediocre last year. The Packers' defense did add a lot more talent. The Packers' defense uh, did show a lot of promise as at, at their peak. The, the issue was consistency more so than, than talent or ability. They are going into their second year. And, and, and again, you can do it with the offense. The offense doesn't have to get worse because we lost Devontae Adams. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm just saying the the best thing is what we have to do is recognize what really was the case because we know that. The past already happened. We have all the data for it. So start there and then you can kind of branch out wherever you want to go. If you want to get hyper optimistic, that's fine. And, and again, my article tomorrow is largely going to, to back you up. If you want to be hyper optimistic, I'm going to give you a, a, ammunition for that. Doesn't mean it has to be, but it, it just kind of points in that direction and says, you know, here is the reason why you can be hyper-optimistic. If you want to be hyper-pessimistic, you can. I don't know how much data you're going to have, but, but again, the, the main point is just start from where we are and then go from there because we, we just tend to get a little too... It's kind of like the telephone game, and I do this all the time too, where you we kind of get so caught up in narrative that we actually just get lost. We, we drift out and we kind of forget where we were. And that I think that's the case when you look at the Packers defense. That's kind of what started this whole thing. When, when people start talking about how good the Packers defense is, good the Packers defense is, great, great, elite, elite. Could it be the, 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 the best Packers defense since, since the 90s? Could it be the best Packers defense this? And the, the point is, it's not that that's wrong, but we get so caught up in that we forget that last year wasn't actually that good, and, and we, we just start assuming and assuming and assuming, and you built, build assumptions off of assumptions off of assumptions. Does any of this make any sense? I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm probably just over-explaining, but I think that's the crux of it. Get a very good understanding of where we are, and do the best you can with the available data to try to project out where we might be headed. And again, it's really just a giant circle. It's kind of, it's more like a radius than a, and I don't mean... In geometry, radius is like the straight line thing. I'm talking about an area from this point in either direction. Except it'll be more like the spider charts where it's, you know, less likely that we go this way, but more likely we go this But it's still just a giant, jagged circle, which is impossible. We need to move off. When we start talking jagged circles, which is impossible. Uh, yeah, it's time. It's, uh, that, was a, that was a failed attempt at anything. All right. So last time we talked, I was doing the hot takes of summer, if you recall, the cheesiness that was. But as I said I was going to do, I went over to Patreon and I said, give me your hot takes. Let me know what kind of takes you have. And so this will be sort of, if I may steal a title, takes on takes. My take on your takes. Uh, again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you want to support the podcast is where you can participate in these kinds of goodnesses. Question and answers if you want uh, questions on the podcast. 
answered, you can send me a message there. I am going to be doing a better job of checking the messages there. So that is kind of the, the one good place that you can actually get a hold of me if you would like to. Uh, polls, etc., etc. So um, starting off, and I deliberately decided not to say give me your Packers takes because I thought, why? Let's, let's just let people give whatever takes they think, um, assuming it's an NFL thing, but eh, who knows? Whatever you felt like saying, you could say. I say that because we start off with Nevin, who says the Lions will win 10 games and finish second in the division. So, kind of a positive and a negative here for you. The article I did yesterday when I looked at um, the all-NFC North 53-man roster, without giving it all away, one of the things I did at the very end was kind of just do a tally. How many total of 53 were Packers, were Lions, were Bears, and were Vikings? How many on offense? How many on defense? How many on special teams? Just kind of a nice, neat little breakdown. 26 offensive players, 27 defensive players, etc., etc. And, um, well, actually, that's not true, because three of those are... I lumped the defense at whatever. doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. The positive argument that I can make for what you made that somewhat surprised me but maybe shouldn't have was the fact that the Packers, first of all, this isn't the surprising part, were number one on offense and number one on defense and dead last on special teams. Sounds legit to anybody, probably. The part that surprised me a little bit was the fact that the number two offensive team was the Detroit Lions. The um, Detroit Lions had seven of the 26 players, Packers had 12, Lions had seven offensive players, four offensive linemen, tight end, two wide receivers, compared to the Vikings six and the Bears one. And so just from that standpoint, and, and you know, forget about the all 53 thing, offensive line, solid, potentially the best in the NFC North, remains to be seen what kind of improvements the Vikings and the Packers make. Uh, Bears presumably will be dead last in that category, but arguably the best offensive line in football. They have the best tight end. They may have the best wide receiver group. I know that automatically goes to the Vikings, but we assume Justin Jefferson is probably the number one wide receiver. But Adam Thielen continues to decline, whereas Amon Ra is breaking out. They drafted Jamison Williams. Remains to be seen how that full group kind of pans out. Um, running back, I think they're kind of lacking, and quarterback obviously is not great. They're probably the third best. He's probably the third best quarterback, potentially fourth, depending on fields and all that. But um, point is, potentially lethal offense, and we saw how good they were last year. Uh, I shouldn't say good. What did they win? Two games? That, that Again, that's what I'm talking about with narrative, right? Narrative gets into our head. We remember how hard they played and all this stuff, and at least for me, in my mind, I build out. They probably won six, seven games, and when you see how many they actually won, the answer is three, there's sort of a, a disconnect, and it's important to remember that because the disconnect tells us, or at least tells me, it's a little signal for me that the narrative has gotten out of control. I think too highly of this team. Now, you can kind of counteract that and say, well, they, they went 0-10-1. They didn't get their first win until week 13, and then they went on to win um, three out of, what, six games, which isn't great, but, you know, it's obviously an improvement. The emergence of Amon Ra, slowly figuring things out. First year with this guy, that guy, whatever couple of close games uh, lost by Minnesota and uh, lost by two to Minnesota in week five tied Pittsburgh lost by three to Cleveland two to the Chicago Bears but you know I think the reality is most teams have three or four or five close games close losses but whatever point is they won three games are they going to win seven more because their offense improved that much I don't think so and then the the, the biggest negative that I would have and again this is your hot take if, if you want to run with it that's fine but the biggest reason why I doubt it, if it was just based on offense, maybe they might. And, and even I might even grant you second in the division because I think they arguably do have the second best offense in um, the NFC North. The biggest issue, though, is the defense of the defensive uh, pieces, which uh, presumably are, I guess, 24. The Packers had, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. The Vikings had 2, 4, 6, 7. The Bears had 2, 4, 6, and the Lions had 1. There was only one person on the entire Detroit Lions defense. And, and again, this isn't set in stone. This is just my interpretation of it. You might grab a guy here or a guy there or disagree with this, that, or the other. It's a fun exercise if you want to just play around. you got nothing else going on today. But I picked one, and that was Aiden Hutchinson, the rookie. And that's, I mean, there are some seriously questionable pieces here. I mean, you look at defensive tackle outside of the top two, and it's like, eh, if you have even an adequate defensive tackle, I probably would have taken him. They don't. 
you know, edge rusher, again, I took one and it's a rookie. Linebacker, one capable linebacker, in my opinion, in the entire NFC North, and that's Devondre Campbell. After that, give me one and I'll take him. They didn't have one. Uh, corner, I grabbed six corners, a bunch of them. Not one of them was a lion. Safeties, I grabbed five safeties. Not one of them was a lion. There are Bears, Vikings, and um, Packers at uh, cornerback and safety. 11 DBs. 11, and not one of them is a lion. That's problematic, and it's really hard to get, you know, double-digit wins. You're, I mean, 10 wins is a big thing. You're a good football team if you get 10 wins. You cannot have this abysmally horrible of a defense. And and again, you can try to make a case. You can say, well, they, they've they taken steps. First of all, they got Aiden Hutchinson, but outside of that, I mean, they've, they drafted Jeff Okuda. If he can figure it out, he's got the upside to be a premier corner in the league, etc. So you can go down the line, but you're still going to be lacking. You're still struggling outside of Aiden Hutchison as a, as a at pass rush, potentially, probably. You have no defensive tackles. You do not have linebackers. You maybe, if everything goes perfectly, have somewhat adequate corners, and you really don't have safeties. There can be occasional miracles of subpar guys just having good seasons, but I, I don't see that happening across the board for the Detroit Lions. So um, do I think they're improved? Yes. Do I think their offense could potentially be pretty good? Yes. Do I think they're going to win more than three games? Yes. Do I think they could be um, second in the division? Maybe, but I think that depends largely on the other teams being bad. Do I see them getting 10 wins? No, I don't. Um, I don't I don't know how many wins you get with this bad of a defense. I mean, you'll, you'll have occasional good games. And, and again, if you have an offense that can stay hot all the time, then you just need, you know, you assume that whenever the defense can show up, I mean, even last year, they had a couple against Baltimore, they allowed 19, um, 16 against Pittsburgh, which again, abysmally awful offense. Um, 13 to the Browns, 16 to the Bears, 12 to the Cardinals. So they, they had, they had a couple where they showed up, where they did some stuff. And again, if you got an offense that can that can overtake that, there you go. You got five, six, seven wins right there. But I'm looking kind of around the 500 range, seven, eight wins. Kurt's hot take, and uh, also it is uh, Goose's hot take. He just commented that this was also mine, but you beat me to it. So Chris and Goose, Kurt and Goose, sorry, Chris is Goose. Say Rashawn Gary, NFL Defensive Player of the Year. It's funny because it's one of those hot take but not hot take things. It's it reminds me of when I my hot take about Aaron Jones, where it's it's pretty hot takey because it seems really unlikely because there's so many guys that have so many opportunities that do it more and better and more often and all that stuff. But also he's already really close. I tried really hard to explain that Aaron Jones was going to get the what did I say most was it receptions I think of any running back, which seemed far fetched, but he was fifth last year, so not really. And it's the same with Rashawn Gary. It seems ridiculous because we know there's guys like Miles Garrett. There's the Bosa's, you know, Joey and Nick. Max Crosby seems like a thing. I, I He's one of those guys I just refused to admit he was going to be that good because he was like a fourth-round pick or something ridiculous. But um, he is just a an established, arguably one of the best in football. Um, Trey Hendrickson, Von Miller, T.J. Watt. But if you look at the pressures, he was third. One pressure less than Nick Bosa. Substantially less. It was like 20 less than Max Crosby, who had a 108, which was ridiculous. But Rashawn Gary had 481 attempts compared to Nick Bosa's 613, Max Crosby's 626. So as a percentage, Rashawn was way ahead. Here's the thing, though, and this is what everybody knows. Let me let me tell you the obvious. He will not win unless he gets the sack numbers up. We can sit here and talk about pressure percentage. We can talk about PFF grades. We can talk about, you know, being a two-way player, whereas Nick Bosa had a 63 run defense grade. Rashawn Gary had a 70 and a 90 pass rush grade, so he can do both. Trey Hendrickson with a 40 run defense grade. You know, Joey Bosa, 68. Leonard Floyd, 68. I mean, this, there, there were a couple others in the 70s. Von Miller, 88. But, you know, he's a two-way guy highest pressure percentage, elite pass rusher. We can talk about all this stuff. Nobody cares if he gets 12 sacks. Nobody cares if it's 10, 11, 12 sacks. When you got guys like Nick Bosa with 21, guys with like Trey Hendrickson with 20, TJ Watt had 23. It just isn't going to matter. Miles Garrett, 18. Robert Quinn, 18. Landry had 16. Hassan Reddick had 15. Matt Judon, 14. Leonard Floyd had 14. I mean, these are mediocre number two guys with 14, 15 sacks, and Rashawn had 12. Nobody cares. 
the sack numbers have to go up with the the the, the it's I mean it really is quite bad to have this many pressures in that low of sacks. He has to have one of the lowest uh, pressure to sack rates of of anybody, and we can dislike it all we want, but that has to go up. But th- again, the the good thing is he's right there. As far as pressure rate is concerned, he's one of the, the the top guys in all of football. It's just a matter of converting those to sacks. He needs more sacks. And if he can get up into 18, 19, 20 range, he can do it. Now, unfortunately, even if his pressure numbers are higher, if he's got 20 and TJ Watt gets 23 again, they're probably just going to hand it to Watt because that's kind of how this voting stuff goes anyways. People are going to look at TJ Watt and say he is just elite, and they'll look at Rashawn Gary and they'll say he had a great year, he's breaking out, he's doing great, but he's not quite on TJ Watt's level, even if he had a better year, because they'll use the higher sack numbers as confirmation bias. So he, he, he's he got a very small bridge to gap, but also a large bridge to gap, S- similar to what happened with Zadarius. He was by far the best pass rusher in football in 2019. They didn't give it to him because he was an unknown commodity. The next year, his sack numbers were high, even though he was a much worse player, Pressure numbers plummeted, his grades went down, everything was worse, but his sack numbers stayed high. And so they looked at it and said, okay, it's his second year, we can give it to him because we kind of kind of screwed him last year a little bit because of our confirmation bias. But now that he's got it two years in a row, sack numbers are high, we'll give it to him. They shouldn't have, they got it backwards. But that's just kind of the way that this works. So you almost look at it and say, and, and maybe you could say last year was his first year, so that, you know, if he follows it up this year, I, I don't know. We'll see. It's 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 kind of a, a twofold thing. He has to keep the numbers high. He has to get more sacks, and it also depends on some of these other big name guys. Um, you know, if if T.J. Watt or Miles Garrett have higher sack numbers, I don't think he gets it. Some of the other guys, eh. Uh, you know, Trey Hendrickson. I don't know that there's a, a, a massive bias in his favor over Rashawn, but Garrett Bosa Watt. Those are those are considered the premier guys, and voters are not going to want to give. Uh, something to Rashawn over them if they don't have to. At least for now. Again, it just takes a year. You know, if, if Watt seems to be declining and Rashawn has two good years, then then they'll just bring him into the fold. Everybody has to be brought in at some point. But again, it's just they're, they're just slow. They're slow with this stuff. So I like it because it seems on the surface like a real lazy, obvious one, but it's really not. I think it is kind of a big, it's a small gap that's hard to get over, if that makes sense. It's the best way I can describe it, though. Um. I kind of want to just get the break out of the way because I keep thinking about it and it's annoying me. But we're just going to, on the other side of the break, just keep doing what we're doing. And I'm going to solicit something kind of unusual here. I haven't done this before. Obviously, there's Patreon and Substack and all that stuff. But if you have a business or something that you want to promote, reach out to me. Um, The rates for advertising on podcasts are pretty unreasonable. I had one listener one time reach out. Uh, He he owned a, a, a car lot. He sold these big massive trucks and he wanted to advertise on my show and so I put him in touch with the people that kind of help manage my podcast or whatever and they gave him the rates and I never heard from him again Um, they're 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 relatively high especially with as good a numbers as we have but given it's the off season and um, things are a little bit slower right now I'm kind of looking at having a fire sale if you will which is to say you're never going to find rates like this ever for advertising on podcasts, especially one of the biggest ones in all of Wisconsin. So if you have a, a business, it doesn't have to be Wisconsin-based, but reach out and we will make something work, all right? It'll probably, possibly, potentially be just for the off-season, but if you got something, if you have a business, small business, large business, whatever, reach out and we'll see what we can make work. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The next hot take comes from Aaron. He says, despite having, quote-unquote, no receivers, the wide receiver core will finish top five in the league but have no individual 1,000-yard receivers. So here is, I get where you're headed. Here is my complication. I kind of feel like it's a one or the other proposition, and, and here's where the complication comes in. It's not impossible. It just... It becomes mathematically improbable, and I hate to nerd out on your take because I do like your take. If you look at the top five passing yards from last season, uh, the Rams had 46-42, Chiefs 47-91, Cowboys 4,800, Chargers 4,800, Tampa 52-29. If we say that they are fifth, 4,642 yards, let's look at that and say... How many receivers are there? Now, granted, there's a bunch. You're talking guys that get one or two, three receptions, you know, 10, 12, 13, 15 receivers. I don't know. But realistically, how many high-volume receivers are there going to be? Let's say there's seven. And again, there's more, so it doesn't really work out. I'm just trying to paint a picture here. Let's just say there's seven receivers and we split it up equally. That would be 663 yards per receiver. And so the point is, from here, what you do is you say, okay, well, some of them are not going to get to 600, but there's an upper limit. We're not allowed to go much higher than this. So for every yard that goes down, we have to have some go up. So let's count out seven receivers that are going to get 600 yards. Alan Lazard will get 600. Sammy maybe gets 600. Cobb maybe gets 600. Tunyon. Aaron Jones, maybe. We need two more. Christian Watson. And then... I don't know, Dylan, Dobbs, am I missing somebody? So, the, again, there's, there's multiple complications here. I can't even get 7 to 600. And, again, you can say, well, yeah, well, some aren't going to get 600. They get 400, 300, but it'll, it'll add up higher. The problem is for everyone that goes down, right, let's say Lazard gets 900, Watkins gets 600, or Cobb gets 600, Watkins gets 400. We need people to make up for that. But I can't go above 1,000. And some of these guys are not going to get anywhere near 600. Now, this gets a lot easier if we happen to get lucky and we got, you know, let's say a couple 999-yard guys. But again, it's 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 hard to really envision that. Who Who's Randall Cobb and, and Lazard get 950? Well, that makes it a little bit easier. But just from a more pragmatic standpoint, when you look at these five teams, four of the five teams not only had 1,000-yard receivers, they had two 1,000-yard receivers. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers had Chris Godwin and Mike Evans over 1,000 yards. Godwin had 1,100 Um, the Chargers had Mike Williams at 1146 and Keenan Allen at 1138. Uh, Dallas is the only team that did not. So that would be probably your closest, um, comparison, but CD Lamb had 1100 yards. And again, the, the, the issue is if we drop CD Lamb down 200 yards, you have to make that up somewhere else. So Amari already has 865. Dalton Schultz had 808. So essentially what you'd have is you drop him 200 yards and then you'd have added to Amari and Schultz, you'd have three 900-yard receivers, right? It just, 
it's not that it's impossible. It's just that it's such a, it, it, it's just a narrow window. You know, you, you need to have a lot of receivers getting a lot of yards that are just under a thousand. It's like, you know, the whole Robin Hood thing where you're trying to split narrow. You got a real narrow runway we're trying to land on here. But they had CeeDee Lamb at 1100, Amari Cooper with 865, Michael Gallup at 445. And that's sort of the other issue is you look at it and you say, well, that's three really good wide receivers. We don't have that. On top of that, they had Dalton Schultz, the tight end, at 808. We don't really have an 800-yard receiving tight end. And they had their running backs, Pollard with 300, Ezekiel with 200, and then just kind of the scraps beyond that, which, of course, every team has sort of the scraps. But do we have... Well, they had four receivers with kind of high numbers. Cedric Wilson made up for a bunch because Michael Gallup was ha- out half the season. It, it's just it's just hard. It, it, it would be... It's not a Packers thing. It's an anybody team. Anybody that can be top five in yards but not have anybody over 1,000. It's just such a weird construction. And again, maybe it is the Packers that have that construction because there is no real elite player. Maybe that is the thing. But Kansas City had Travis Kelsey 1,100, Tyreek 1,200. And then the Chargers uh, only had one. I forgot there was another team that only had one. But he had 1,900 yards. He basically had 2,000 by himself. So... And I think he did, actually, if you include the postseason. I think this is just regular season. But I like the take. Um, if you hit it, I think nobody will really realize how hot of a take that is. Um, but again, my objection isn't really to the take outside of... Because I get where you're coming from. It's just mathematically, it's so hard to get there. Let me, let me just let me just look at what a scenario would look. Because now I'm just curious. So Lazard, let's say 950. Sammy Watkins has a great year. He gets 850. That puts us at 1800. Um... Aaron Jones only had like 300 and some odd yards, uh, let's say 400. I mean, we'll say it goes up, but I don't want to plug him in already at like 800 yards or anything. We'll give him, I guess, 500. But who would be next? Let's say we need our deep threat. Let's say it's Christian Watson. Let's say he also gets 850. Cobb gets 750. We still need over 1,000 more yards here. Um, Aaron Jones gets 500. Dylan gets 400. We're at 4,300. So we only need 300 and some odd more, which is definitely doable with the guys we got. Just looking at last year, uh, Josiah, 245, Mercedes, 214, Tunyon. We didn't even add Tunyon yet. Again, I mean, these are kind of absurd numbers that are unlikely, but, you know, I I guess I can get there mathematically. So anyways, we'll get off that. I I, I still think it's it's tough because the the hardest point at this point is, are we going to have four guys that are this close to 1,000 without going over? You know what I mean? But that's why it's a hot take. John says, Dobbs will have a breakout year. We will see Love in the preseason or sometime in the regular season playing up to his full potential, at least once or twice. The Bears will finish last in the NFC North. This last one's not really a hot take because the Bears are more like hot garbage. That's true. I wonder if that is... No, it's not. I was going to say, I wonder if that's a hot take. And then I thought about it and was like, well, you would find out by looking at, I guess, the Vegas odds to see what the general consensus is. And I'm pretty sure the Lions and Bears are kind of on equal footing from a betting standpoint so i think that's about you're, you're probably right it's not really a hot take it's it's a take it's probably not a you know the, the more common bet i'm guessing is the lions it could be wrong but anyways uh as far as the other ones uh let's go in reverse order we'll see love in the preseason or sometime in the regular season playing up to his full potential at least once or twice i hate that that's even a hot take but it probably is because all we're really saying is give me one full outing. It's not even necessarily a full game, but maybe. Give me one full outing where you just look like a really good quarterback, because we've seen it in spurts. We've seen Jordan Love look good, but the problem is that's that's true of just about every quarterback. The difference between looking good sometimes and being a good quarterback is consistency, right? Mitch Trubisky looked real good at times. The problem was he would look good, look good, look good, look good, and then throw a pick in the end zone or something, which was my whole thing with Jordan Love. He would look great marching his way down the field and then just make a boneheaded decision. It's like, what are you doing? Right? I'm sure Justin Fields looks great at times. Uh, you know, the, the, the biggest reason why some people respect Kirk Cousins and people think Kirk Cousins is a big goofball loser that can't play football is the inconsistency. You know, again, that's true of everybody. So um, I, I hate to even argue with you because then I'm saying I don't think we're going to even see him once not make, make a stupid mistake. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that one. But I, I think the bigger question is what do we do with that? What if we only see him twice and he looks good twice? How much does that change the narrative? I, I almost think it kind of flips it on its head from... And, and by the way, I kind of hope it happens because then you're going to see me take the other side. Whereas Mr. Negative Go, you know, he's always calling me a bootlicker because I support... The, the organization, whatever it is, 
By the way, I want to remind Mr. Negative, um, I did not block you. I'm just not on social media right now. Apparently, he's very mad at me for blocking him. I haven't blocked anybody. It's impossible for me to block people because I'd have to go on Facebook in order to block people, and I haven't been on there. So, still love you, man. Just not, uh, just, just pulling back from it. However, if you want to jump on Patreon, you can message me there. Buck a month, man. One dollar, and you can send me all the messages you want on Patreon. All the negative articles, I'll be right there. Something to think about. Um, what was I saying? Oh, what you would see is me switching to probably the other side, because you would have a contingent of people saying, I think we got something, this is legitimate, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, I think we're okay, and then you'd probably have me taking the other side of it. And of course, it would start another civil war among Packers, because this is such a contentious issue. The anti-love, anti-Gudekunst crowd would, who at this point would probably be the more reasonable voice, would be very, you know, yeah, right, it's, it's, it's almost nothing. But the funny thing is, you, you would have a reversal of narrative to where the people who are attacking them based on a small sample size would suddenly realize small sample size doesn't mean anything. They would look at two preseason games and realize that's not enough to make a, a determination of how good somebody is. Suddenly, they would recognize that. And they'd be right, but they'd also be hypocrites about it. So, I, I mean, I hope we see it. I mean, Jordan Love, he wears a Packers uniform. He is a Green Bay Packer. Um, we should support him. Beyond that, if he is a good football player, that is, that is, there is nobody on this team we should all be rooting for more than that. And, and again, not to go down the negative path here, but that is maybe my biggest objection with the negative fans. I get that you don't like the pick, but I also think you need to focus more on the fact that there is nobody more valuable on this team than Jordan Love. There just is not. Rashawn Gary, anybody else, Jordan, if, if you could pick one player to be really good at football, if you pick anybody but Jordan Love, I'm sorry, not smart, wrong decision. There's nobody we should be rooting for, hoping for, praying for more than Jordan Love. If that guy can become a great football player, we are set up for the next 20 years. So, you know, I understand the, the desire to argue your point and your position and you Hold a good and probably correct position, but don't allow other people's bad takes to pull you into doing something stupid. That's something that I struggle with. One of the many reasons I'm not on social media. I get drawn into making stupid arguments just because I want to argue with people who are saying stupid things, and I take it too far in the opposite direction. Do not allow yourself to root against a Green Bay Packers quarterback just because some people support the decision to draft somebody and you don't. Make sense? His other take, Dobbs will have a breakout year. Didn't provide much outside of that. Um, not going to get into the weeds on what it, the definition of a breakout year is. Do you need to have prior years in order to have a breakout year? I don't know. I guess I guess not. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. If you're just great as a rookie, is that a breakout year? Or are you just a great football player? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, you know, I, 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 it's a hot take, so I should disagree. That's the whole, If I agree with you, then it's, you know, a moderate take. And I, I talked to JJ about it. I, I'm pretty sure it was on the pod. We talked quite a bit before and after, uh, or I guess before the recording. So some of this was not on there, but, but my, my, it was on the podcast. We, the biggest objection I have to that generally is we've been down this road so many times. There's always these guys that we just assume based on kind of something, but kind of nothing. Josh Jackson, Josh Jones, et cetera, et cetera, go down the line of these guys that, you know, they, they just have these attributes, they have something about them. Jamon Moore might even be the best example because we're talking wide receiver. You know, Jamon Moore, and granted, he was the first of the group to get picked, so it was a little bit more reasonable, but it was just the fact that he was just sort of the good receiver of the group. You know, MVS had all the attributes, kind of like Christian Watson's got all the attributes, but Jamon was the clean route runner. He was just, you know, he had better hands, he had better feet, he had, you know, a stronger mind, whatever it was. He just felt like the more pure, ready football player. And then he got on the field and he was just kind of terrible. It just never came together. So the point is, for me personally, and you, you can, I mean, more power to you. Think whoever, whatever you want about whoever you want. Some of these guys are going to break out. Some of them aren't. You got to got to bet on somebody. And granted, some people did pick MVS. They picked the traits, and I, that was not my pick at all. Some people picked uh, Equinemius St. Brown because he was sort of the guy that fell. So uh, there were there were three different camps, probably fairly equally distributed. And some people were right, and some people were wrong. But I think for me, I, I just look at Dobbs, and, and it's because I hear that same kind of narrative. Just I get the alarm bells. It's like, eh, I don't know. Don't don't jump on that train until you see something. So we will see. It's certainly a, a popular hot take, if that is even possible. Earl says Packers 
with the division 14 and 3. I'm guessing that's win the division 14 and 3. Resign Kevin King and end up with three corners in the top 10. Um, win the division is an easy one. Not a guaranteed thing, but not necessarily a hot take. But 14 and 3 is. And I like it because what I have been banging the table saying for a long time, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, I'm just saying it's something that we need to remember is just because our wide receivers maybe aren't as good as they were doesn't mean our offense isn't necessarily as good or possibly even better. And it certainly doesn't mean the team doesn't improve overall just because you lost one wide receiver. It's entirely possible for the team to improve while still losing Devontae Adams. And so this is kind of putting that theory in action and saying we're going to win one more game than we have the last three years in a row. Um, re-signing Kevin King, I, I really can see that. And, and I think ultimately, unfortunately, one of the reasons why I can see that happening would be an injury. You know, if, let's say they put Razul Douglas in the slot and Razul ends up getting hurt. We tried Kevin in the slot. It actually worked quite well. I could see bringing him back for very cheap, putting him in the slot, which seems like something he can never do. Very much not his, his forte, but again, it worked and letting it ride out. The, the problem is I have a hard time reconciling that and the top three corner thing. Obviously, I don't think that's Earl's thought. He just thinks we're probably going to bring him in for depth or whatever. I'm guessing, unless maybe he does think Kevin King will be in the top 10. I don't know. But the, the good thing about the top three or three in the top 10 thing, which is nearly impossible, but the, the, the cool thing about it is the last time I remember that happening, or at least coming close to happening, was the, um, the Rams. I think they had two in the top 10, three in the top 20, something to that effect. I'm not going to look it up because it's not that important. I don't feel like putting in that much work right now. But um, Plus, I just don't want to be wrong. I find out that it's one in the top 10, one, two in the top 20, and three in the top 25 or something. But the point is, it's a similar scheme to what Joe Barry did. The, the, the great thing about that was, not even that it's the greatest players, but it's just it was the scheme and the defense and all this stuff kind of coming together. And it was the three corners that really made it a great unit. And um, so there is sort of that parallel there. Again, mathematically, it's nearly impossible that that, that happens. I mean, there's just 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 statistically, 32 teams, uh, you've got a, what, 33% chance of one guy being in the top 10, you know, 10% chance of, of three, and a 3% chance of, of, which, you know, again, e- even that is not necessarily true. I'm just multiplying a third, a third, a third, which is not even how that works, but I do like it. And, and, and you know, the, the cool thing about it is that the hot takes are kind of the extreme end, but there's a larger point to be made, and that is we have three really good corners, and there is still that parallel between, between the Rams and the Packers, which is a realistic parallel to make, not only because of the talent that we have, but also just the scheme that we have. By the way, check out Sam's article over on the, uh, the packernet.substack.com. He kind of talks a little bit about that, and, and the, the larger area that he talks about is coverage. One of the changes that are going to be made is, is a coverage change, or at least moving more in a direction, which I think is going to be further away from what the Rams did, according to his article, but it's, it's more in the direction of because we have really good corners, we're going to be doing more of this because they can lock it down, and that's going to help our deep blah, blah, blah. It's a great article. Go check it out. JJ says the Bears will go 0-10 before their first win because they're not beating the Texans or the Commanders. They also might get a tie in there before they get a win. They will finish the season with fewer than four wins. The Packers will have a better offense in 2022 than 2021. So basically, JJ says the Bears will be the Lions because that's literally what the Lions did. I think they went 10 uh, games before their first win. I just read that to you. And I think they had a tie mixed in there somewhere. And they had fewer than four wins. They had three. So (laughs) there you go. But really, I mean, it makes sense because you look at how bad the Bears are. I was even, when I was doing my um, my uh, article for the Substack about the uh, the players, one of the things I did that I had to keep cross-referencing is I'd go to PFF and just kind of look at the grades that they had. The problem is PFF grades were based on last year. So I'd look and go, oh, they, they you know, the Bears have this guy, which you could consider, like James Daniels is a guy that I wanted to plug in. He's a guard for the Bears. Unfortunately, he's no longer a guard for the Bears. So it's like, I, I remember that they lost their tackle, Charles Leno, who's a great football player. That was two years ago, but still, I remember he's gone, and that hurts their offensive line. I remember Khalil Mack is gone, but I forget about the other edge rusher that left. You know, I remember Akeem Hicks left, but I forget about the other defensive tackle that left. You know, there's there's so many guys that left, and it's everybody that has any amount of talent. James Daniels is the only guy left on that offensive line that was any bit good, and he's gone. And so the, the just extreme lack of 
anything. And even, you know, I, I had kind of given them a little bit of credit when you look at, again, my 53, one guy on offense, one. And, and I think if, if you're thinking in your mind right now, you could probably think of two that potentially could be in there, and that would be Mooney and Montgomery, right? I picked one of those two. The other one didn't make the cut. But on defense, you're like, well, yeah, but they had one, two, three, four, five, five guys on defense. That's not terrible. It's not great. Um, I'll just tell you, one of them is Quinn, who's headed for a big fall off. One of them is Roquan, who is not very good. I just don't really have anybody else. And I brought him in just because he's athletic and we've got two other guys that are better and he can just be kind of a blitzing linebacker, backup, whatever. Um, Two of them are rookies, which means nothing. It's just because I needed some extra guys and I like the upside. And then there's Jalen Johnson, their corner, who is mediocre, potentially quite good. We'll have to see. He's going into year three. He took kind of a step from year one to year two. But it's not as though, yeah, but they had one of the higher numbers on defense, so they still have a good defense. No, they don't. Of the five that, you know, actually have played, there's only three. Of those three, one of them is graded as one of the worst at the position in the entire NFL. Again, I put him on there simply as sort of a gadget guy. And that leaves two guys, one of which is mediocre, one of which is headed for a bit of of a downturn. They don't have a good defense. They certainly don't have a good offense. So you compare that to what the Lions had last year, and you say, well, the Lions didn't have a defense. They were, I mean, it was an abysmal defense. They also didn't have much on offense. The quarterback wasn't good. They had a good offensive line. They did have some good wide receivers. They had a really good tight end. But, you know, generally, you know, no real running backs, no good quarterback. But that's about – the Bears have a worse situation than the Lions did last year. I don't know about the defense being worse. I think the defense is probably better than the Lions last year, but still comparable. So the fact that he's kind of looking at the Bears and saying they're going to be identical to – what the Lions were, fair enough. And then Packers will have a better offense in 2022 than 2021. Kind of already talked about that. I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's a certainty. I'm not even saying it's a higher than 50% probability, but I am saying it's a possibility because some people tend to think it's zero. It's it's assumed that it's going to get worse and it's not. So I do like that generally as a hot take because it's just, well, I just like it. Piggybacking on that, Steve says, I agree with JJ's second take, the one about the Packers uh, having a better offense. If, and here's the biggie, Rodgers can learn once again to look for and throw to people whose last name isn't Adams. And, I, you know, it feels like Packer fans are overhyping that a little bit and overselling that a little bit. But the reality is, I think it's true. I, I think it's a, it's a thing that we've seen, that we've known for a long time, that, you know, quarterbacks becoming over-reliant on... Uh, one receiver is is problematic for a team, and there is improvement when that doesn't happen as much because you can rely more on the scheme and you can distribute the ball more, and it makes it harder to predict what you're going to do. When you have a team that's largely based on one player, the defense has an easier job to take away that one player, and it's harder then for Rodgers to get off that and go to his second read and third read and be successful. But as I've said, if if your primary read is literally anybody on this offense, you know, not not literally, but you got the running backs, the tight ends, the wide receivers. You got all these guys out there, and you don't know who the primary is. Rodgers has no idea who the primary is until the call comes in, as opposed to everybody in the stadium knowing that Rodgers is going to try to throw the ball to Devontae. That creates a complication. Edwards says Packers break the NFL turnover record composite as well as interceptions, sixth in sacks. PFF will be proud. I got to parse this out here. Break the NFL turnover record composite. I'm guessing that's turnovers in terms of fumble recoveries and interceptions. I don't know what sixth in sacks means, but I'm curious what the NFL turnover record is. Looks like the uh, (laughs) uh, 1946 Cleveland Browns had 67 in 15 games, and they won the championship that year. Um, They had... (laughs) Here, here are their interception totals. And I, I don't know if this is what you mean, but it's interesting anyways. 4, 4, 5, 5, 6, 5, 3, 2, 3, 4, 8, 3, 9, 6, and then 2 in the championship. That's how many turnovers they had. 41 interceptions, 23 fumble recoveries, 64 total turnovers. Packers had 26 last year. Kind of just seems like those numbers just don't really happen anymore since the 80s. Um if you just go in order of season of highest to lowest 46 61 this is 19 1946 1961 84 83 52 52 89 53 65 64 73 54 50 84 46 50 83 77 50 
61, trying to find one even in somewhat recent history here. Where did I leave off? 50, 84, 46, 50, 83, 77, 50, 61, 81, 49, 63, 85, 51, 88, 78, 53, 64, 81, 80, 63. Oh my goodness, how long is this going to take? 63, 62, 46, 49, 58, 46, 60, 83, 47, 71, <laughs> 51. We're down to 50 turnovers. We're not even close yet. 42, 48, 54, 54, 79, 63. We haven't even hit 1990 yet. 48, 63, 76, 41, all the way down to the, oh, look who it is, the 2000 Baltimore Ravens had 49. So, again, sort of the deified defense of at least modern history. Um, the only one was the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, and then again, we're right back into the 86, 68, 67, 50, 40, 40, 50, 60, 40, 60, 60, 80, 40, 40, 80. Jeez. It's not even close, and then you got to go all the way down to 48, the San Diego Chargers in 2007. So um, recent history, this just does not happen. So I may be misunderstanding your prediction here, but it says Packers break the NFL turnover record composite as well as interceptions. So um, I'm going to say that is a hot take that is well out of the realm of, possi of a possibility here. It, it just seems like it's an impossibility from you know, football just isn't that way anymore, you know, between the 40s and the 80s, that was sort of the heyday of when defense has got a bunch of picks, and that just doesn't, you know, back when you could just take a wide receiver, slam him on his head, and then grab the ball and be like, that's mine now, that doesn't happen anymore, and then same with, you know, fumbles, oh, he stopped for a half a second, he's down, da, 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 whatever, technically he fumbled, but you called him a bad word on the way down, so we're gonna give him the ball back and tack on 50 yards, touchdown, and you forfeit, and you're fired, and you go to jail. But what can we do with this? Let's look at it and say since 2010, what are the most turnovers? And you have the 2012 Chicago Bears with 44. Um, other than that, the Patriots in 2012 had 41. 2012 was a heck of a year, apparently. The Packers in 2010... Oh, wait. 2011. Wow. 2011 Packers. That's surprising. 38 turnovers. That was a worse defense than I thought. <laughs> The ninth most turnovers that year, and it was still a horrific defense. I don't know. I, I, I guess if we're going to try to bring some level of reality to this, we'll say that they crack 40 turnovers. That would be my hot take. If I were to take your hot take and make it somewhat believable, I would say the Packers crack 40. Even then, very unlikely since uh, 2010. That's only happened twice. Getting beyond 60, which hasn't been done since like the 60s, just, just uh, nah. Drew says the Packers will start at least three 2022 NFL draft picks day one. All right, well, Quay Walker's a yes. Now, here, here's here's my problem, though. It says start. I don't know if you meant start or if you just meant play, but I, I'm all the way off the train if you mean start, start. I think I'm all the way off the train. Maybe I shouldn't be all the way off the train. Let's think about it. Quay is a... Uh, is he a start? He can play a lot and still not necessarily start. Yeah, I think so. If you look at Chris Barnes, he was listed as starting most of the games um, in the season, actually. So, okay, so Quay starts. He started the first three games, uh, six, almost every almost every game this year, apparently, he started, which is surprising. Uh, last year, I mean. What about Devontae Wyatt? So if we look at it, uh, Kenny obviously started. If you look at the second most snaps would be Dean. Dean started every single game. After that was Kingsley Kiki. Of the games that he played, he started most of them. Then you have Tyler Lancaster, who very rarely was considered a starter. So you're Kenny, Dean, and Kingsley, your top three guys. So the question is, is he a top three defensive tackle day one? Kenny, Jerron Reed, Dean Lowry, and then maybe Devontae Wyatt after that, maybe not. So I'm going to say no to Devontae Wyatt starting. Christian Watson. Basically, you got to be a top three wide receiver. Um, Lazard, Devontae, and MVS were mostly considered starters. MVS was kind of iffy, but, you know, 60-70% of his games. And especially we're talking week one, I just don't see it. So I'm going to say no to pretty much any of the wide receivers. So really it just comes down to, we've got Quay. Are we going to have, like, two offensive linemen or Kingsley and Igbar? I just, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's certainly possible. Any of the wide receivers really just blow up. They could end up getting a start. Devontae Wyatt could potentially get a start. I think the hot take for me, the, the, the over-under for me is two. 
or, or maybe one and a half, right? I think we can safely say one, although not 100%, but pretty confident that of these guys, at least one. The question for me is, will there be two? Um, if Sean Ryan or Zach Tom start, then there's your two, which I, I guess you can kind of look at it and say from there that the, the potential for three. You could have both of the offensive linemen. There's also Watson, Dobbs, Kingsley, Wyatt, but I'm 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 happily taking the under on that, and I'll say that only one starts week one, um, with the potential for two depending on offensive line. Was is kind of how I see that. Now, if you're talking about guys that play, which I don't think you are. Now we're talking Quay's going to play, Wyatt's going to play, Watson's going to play, maybe one of the offensive linemen, kind of 50-50 on any of them starting. Kingsley's going to play. Dobbs might play. So, yeah, that's that's certainly a hot take. Aaron says, first overall offense with Lizard being breakout player and Rodgers wins his third MVP in a row. I think the biggest hot take here is first overall offense, but again, it, it really just kind of falls in line with do you think the offense improves as a result of the changes that are being made and, and leaning on the scheme and kind of really just, well, I guess, leaning into the scheme, which isn't just Aaron Rodgers kind of taking the easy passes and stuff, but I also mean leaning into it in terms of doing it more, more pre-snap motion, more you know deception type things, which is kind of what we got all excited about at first when we started talking about the scheme. And then I think last year we kind of got more into the just drop back and throw to Devontae thing, whereas, you know, what happened to the everything starts with the run? And I don't mean run the ball more. I'm just talking from the standpoint of the defense is looking and they're seeing a run play. They're seeing this play that we've seen a thousand times before, but Aaron Rodgers turns his back and we don't know what happens when he turns around. Is he going to have the ball? Is the other guy going to have the ball? Is he going to throw it? Is this? We don't know. And so linebackers are frozen. Do I, you know, there's a motion. Do I follow that guy? Do I chase him? Which, you know, I might have to anyways, because even if he doesn't have the ball, they might throw to him. So if I don't start running, I got to go, but I also, I don't know. And then if you have a guy in motion and a running back, let's say, you know, you got Christian Watson coming across the formation. If I don't start running with Christian Watson, this guy's got speed. He's going to beat me to the outside. So I'm going to have to, but if he doesn't have it and Aaron Jones takes the ball and I'm, I'm now out of position to be able to stop Aaron Jones. And I've got an offensive lineman coming up and walling me off because I'm, I'm running to the sideline. I can't get back to the middle of the field to help out to stop Aaron Jones from running. And so now, you know, he's got daylight. It's, it's that kind of stuff. It's just a run play, but of course, it's not just a run play. You have the defense looking and saying, I don't know where to look. I don't know where to put my eye. And obviously, I can figure it out, but it's that half a step that we cause you to hesitate that's just going to kill you. So it's just a matter of do you buy into it or not. If you do, there you go. First overall offense is possible. Aaron Rodgers wins his third MVP is almost likely. Uh, two more, both of them by Mr. Andy Monday. Wyatt takes over for Reed sometime uh, in the second half of the season. I like that take because, again, it really just reminds me of the Kenny Clark trajectory. You know, Kenny Clark was a first-round pick. We really liked the guy, um, but he didn't really get a ton of snaps early on, and by the time the, the second half of the season rolled around, primarily the, the postseason, he was the number two guy next to Mike Daniels. And I can clearly see that for Devontae Wyatt. I really can. Um, I, I don't see a real slow progression for him, which would be, you know, maybe second year, maybe third year. I, I think it'll be a little bit more quick than that. Again, he's an older guy. He's a more experienced guy. He comes from a program that really understands high-level football. He's got unbelievable athleticism, so it, it's really just a matter of understanding the scheme, and then he's ready to take off. So get, get him a handful of games under his belt, and you'll see him start to take that number. You know, he'll, he'll go from the number four guy to the number three guy to the number two guy, I think, by the end of the season. It's my my guess, and I don't know if Reed will be the number two or the number three, but that's sort of my general trajectory of it. Finally, Andy says, Walker scores on in week one on a return. We talking Rashid or Quay? <laughs> Rashid taking a punt return to the house. Um, I'm guessing by return you mean interception. I don't think Quay is going to be a return guy, so he's going to return an interception. for. I like that. I, I would prefer maybe a, um, if you had said, sometime in the season, but maybe then it's not quite as much of a hot take, but it's just a lot of pressure for week one. But it, it almost seems like something that'll happen because week one is always one of those weird weeks where things are either really, really good or really, really bad, and we, we buy way too much into it. You know, somebody has just a huge game, and it's like, oh, man. Kind of like the first thing that comes to mind is Brian Burns. Brian Burns had a great, like, preseason, and then, like, weeks one, 
maybe one and two. I don't know. He he really just lit it up. He had like four sacks or whatever. It just and and so Packer fans look at Rashawn Gary, who's hardly playing, and nobody really liked the draft pick very much. I shouldn't say nobody, but very few. And everybody wanted Brian Burns, myself included. I was a big Brian Burns. Brian Burns fan. I was all proud of the fact that I was the first one to kind of pick him out of a lineup and say, this guy's better than people are giving him credit for, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's kind of, it was just disappointing because we missed out on an opportunity. He was available. He's a freak. He's doing great, all this stuff. And then he just kind of faded. And the same is true in the opposite direction. Packers were horrible on defense and offense, I guess, in week one. And then that just kind of got fixed. So week one is when crazy stuff happens and uh, things that we assume mean things that they don't. So fair enough. Anyways, I got to get going. Um, sorry to the early morning drivers who didn't get their podcast out. I'm going to try to do a better job. Again, I'm, I'm taking some time off with the intention of putting more work in on the podcast. Unfortunately, I'm allowing myself to get a little bit of sleep too, which means I'm not getting them out early enough. So got to work on that. I might do uh, might start doing some PM episodes so that I can get them up in the morning, and maybe as a bonus for the pat- patrons, I can uh, get you some early access, which is something I used to do back in the day, just as a little Patreon bonus. But anyways, i got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.